So if you open up your bulletin on the inside, you have an order of service, and at the top of that, you have a vision and a mission for us at Trinity. We've been talking about this for about two years now, and we want to make sure from time to time we reorient ourselves to what that is. Our vision at Trinity is to be a dynamic fellowship that loves Jesus Christ and that unites cultures and generations through the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel to transform individuals and families and communities. That's what we're here to do. And we absolutely believe the Lord is already building that into us. That's what we already are, but what we're growing into as we obey Him. We believe if we say the things He tells us to say, do the things He tells us to do, go the places He tells us to go, then that's what we're going to grow into and become as well. I love seeing what the Lord's doing among us. And the way to assure that happens is to follow our mission, which is right under that. And our mission is to make disciple makers who are committed to gathering, just like this, for the preaching of the word, for prayer, for fellowship, and for worship. And then we're committed to scatter from this place into our community, out into Florence, for ministry and service, and the proclaiming of the gospel from western Florence to the ends of the earth. Our missionaries go all the way across the ocean. We go right here across the street. That's the call on our life. And we believe that the core of what God has raised us up to do at this period in Trinity's history is to make disciple makers, to help you become a stronger, more powerful, more passionate follower of Jesus Christ, who is then equipped to spiritually reproduce yourself in the lives of others, be able to share the gospel with them, see them come to faith in the power of the Holy Spirit, and then help them grow up into that faith so that they can repeat the process. It's not just something that we as professionals do as a staff. It's not just the responsibility of our elders. We believe that each and every one of us, as followers of Christ, are called not only to be disciples, but to make other disciples as well. So what we want to talk about today is some of the power that is available to us, because if we're going to grow up as disciples, and if we're going to make disciples of people who don't know the Lord, we are going to have to depend on the power of the Lord. Your resources are just not enough to accomplish the mission that's been laid in front of us. We need the Lord's resources, the Lord's power. So you've got some uh, scriptures in your bulletin. You've got some things to write down today. I encourage you to take some notes because we'll cover a lot of ground in scripture. I'm just going to encourage you to flip quick with me. I'll try to help you along with that. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, why don't you grab one of the blue Bibles in the pews and you can follow along with me. But let's start in Ephesians chapter 1, okay? Ephesians chapter 1 in the Blue Bible. That's going to be on page 1815. You can flip there. Paul, we've talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, came to the city of Ephesus. It was this massive city in the Roman Empire, one of the biggest ones in all the empire. And directly through the city of Ephesus ran the Roman road. It was the central artery for all trade and travel in the Roman Empire. It's what made them so prosperous. They had great roads to travel on and to be able to take their commerce all over the world. And Ephesus was one of those hubs. And so people came from everywhere to trade uh, the things that they had, their, their food, all those other things. They came from all over the place to Ephesus to learn and also to worship. There were massive temples there to different gods, and they would come from all over the place to worship and Paul said to himself, listen, if I can plant a church in Ephesus, 
where you can have this access to the Roman road and all these people that are coming and going, if the gospel can be rooted here and the gospel can be sent out from here, then it can spread all over the Roman Empire. And that's exactly what took place. So Paul founds this church. He's there for about two and a half years. Day in and day out, he is spending time with his brand new believers, helping them understand who they are in the Lord, and then sending them out to preach the gospel. And the end of that two and a half years, he leaves. He leaves his apprentice Timothy there to be the new pastor of the church. And after a while, he writes this letter to the Ephesians back to them to encourage them once he's gone. And it is filled. If you just want to understand the basics of the faith, you're not really sure where to start in Scripture, maybe the Bible's new to you, here's a great book to get started with. The book of Ephesians is just good base-level understanding of what we're called to as followers of Christ. And I want you to listen to this opening prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesian believers. You know, when you ask me to pray for you, I pray all over the map. But usually it's something like this, where we pray that there'll be healing in their life. Or Lord, we pray that whatever that circumstance that they're facing will be resolved. We, we pray in all those ways. But I want you to watch how Paul prays for the people under his care. Bill Allen and I were talking about this a couple of years ago, and he pointed out to me, you know, Paul prays so much differently for people than we pray for people. Like, listen to what Paul prays for these believers. Ephesians chapter 1 Verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord, Jesus, and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. See what he prayed for those Ephesians? One, first and foremost, that they would know God more. They would have the relationship with the Lord taken to a brand new place where they would know him more intimately, more passionately. And then he asked for three things on top of that, that they would know the hope to which they had been called in the gospel, the things that were held out for them, the riches that they received by becoming followers of Christ, their inheritance in the saints. And then he said, I pray that you would know the incomparably great power that is available to you as followers of Christ, the power that we have. Now listen, he's going to describe that power, verse 19. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul says this, the power that's available to you and me is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the power that exalted him to the right hand of God, and now he is seated at God's right hand in the spiritual realms, 
and every other power and authority that's ever existed in the past or the future is now under the feet of Jesus, under his ultimate authority. That's the power that's available to you and me. That's good news. It's good news. But I want you to flip one page to the right in your Bible. Probably Ephesians chapter 3. Skip down to verse 20. Paul's going to pray a second prayer. Look at what it says. Ephesians 3, 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul's like, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we could possibly ask or imagine of him. Whatever could come into your mind, God can do more than you would ever pray for him to do in your family. That power is available to us. Now, there's one other verse I want you to see. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. You don't need to flip there. We'll have it up on the screen. You can keep your place here. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. This is what Paul said about his ministry when he was writing to the Corinthians. He says, for the kingdom of God, meaning the rule of God, the reign of God, what we operate in as followers of Christ, he said the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. You know why he said that? Because everywhere Paul went, when he would do ministry, people would rise up to oppose him. He would go in a place, and he would preach the gospel, and people would get mad because people would get saved, and they would oppose him. So God would have to send his power to Paul to be able to deliver him from whatever was happening. Not only that, he had believers in Jesus who would oppose him too. They didn't like the things he taught or the way he led or whatever his leadership was. He even had opposition from believers. And when he was in Corinth, what they were saying was this, you know. I mean, Paul writes some good letters while he's gone. But, I, you know, when he's kind of in person, he's not really all that impressive. I mean, like, I've heard him preach, and he's not really that good. And Paul said, okay, well, when I'm gone and you talk about me behind my back, that's fine. You can talk. The kingdom of God is not about talk. What is it about? It's about power to see lives change. And if people, if anyone had seen the power to see lives change, it was Paul. He planted churches all over the place god used him to write 12 books of the bible god was using paul he's like you don't like my preaching no problem but let's not talk about talking let's talk about power the kingdom of god is about power and when god's pleasure rests on us then his power follows that's not in your bulletin but that might be worth right now when god's pleasure rests on us his power follows when god's pleasure rests on a church his power follows. When God's rest, when his pleasure rests on your family, your workplace, your neighborhood, his power follows because he wants his name to be made great in those places and his power is the best way for him to get glory on the earth. So here's my question for us. I've got it in your bulletin. There's not one of us in here, I don't think, who would disagree with those verses. If I said, do you believe Ephesians 1? Do you believe Ephesians 3? Do you believe 1 Corinthians 4? Every one of us would be like, absolutely, Pastor Matt. We're all on board. It's absolutely true. So here's my question. 
If there's so much power available to us as Christians, why do so many of our lives feel so powerless? Why is it that when the same problems that are out there in the world come our way, that we don't seem to have this ability to overcome those problems? I am not a preacher who will tell you that if you walk with Jesus, problems are not going to come your way. In fact, I'm pretty convinced when you walk with Jesus, things actually start to get harder. Because then the world starts to oppose you. When you start walking in the ways of the Lord, the enemy rises up against those things. We deal with depression. We deal with anxiety. We deal with marital issues. We deal with issues with our kids. We deal with financial issues. We deal with health issues. Those are going to come your way. In fact, Jesus promised you that. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said this, While you are in the world, you will have tribulation. It's not you might or you, it could happen. He said, you will have tribulation. But then he said this, take heart because I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. So the question is, if we have all this power available to us, why do we have such an inability to overcome the world when things come our way? It's not that God is going to solve all those problems for us, although a lot of times he does, but he calls us to overcome those problems and the resources he's given us. Like in Romans chapter 8 when Paul says this, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither the past nor the future, neither angels nor demons, nor the present, nor any power, Nothing, height nor depth, can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He said in all things we are, he said it this way, we're more than conquerors. That when difficulties come our way, we have the ability to live above those and not be bogged down by them. So this morning, we're going to talk about how do we attain that power to thrive in our life. And I'm telling you this, it comes from knowing your God intimately. Knowing your God intimately. Do you remember what we said last week about how God has moved heaven and earth so that we could know him? How when he created this world, all this around us, he took the time to weave into this creation knowledge of who he is. Just like we talked about, I can look at the sanctuary last week, and I can tell you some things about the designer of the sanctuary. God wove his character and his purposes and his plans into the creation around us so we could know there's a creator, that we should worship him, that we should submit our lives to him. Not only that, he wove it into our heart. Remember we talked about this. The anthropologists have, have gone throughout history. They've looked at every human culture that we can find in history. And there's not been one human culture that we've found that does not believe in some form of God. Why is that true? Why? Because God has woven eternity into us as human beings. We know there's something more than just us out there. We know there's something that's bigger than us. We strive to find it, but God has been so much more graceful than just that. He didn't just make creation and leave us on our own to go hunting down, like a big Easter egg hunt, okay? He took on human flesh in the form of Jesus. He became a man to communicate to our spiritual ancestors exactly who he was, what his heart was, and then what he did for us. That's the good news. Jesus revealed those things to us. 
And I want to challenge us. The way to see the power in our life that we need to thrive is to pursue him in knowledge and depth of intimacy. So I would encourage you to take some notes because I, I just need you to go back this week. I need you to go back over these verses. I need you to seek these things out for yourself. Let the Lord lead you in these things because we want to ask ourselves this. Why do we lack the power to thrive? Number one, number one, we lack knowledge of the power available to us in the gospel, the scriptures, and in the Holy Spirit. For many of us, we've just never been taught that we have this kind of power available to us. Maybe you've been raised in, in church or raised in youth group, and you've never actually heard we have real power available to us to overcome. Or maybe this whole church thing, Jesus thing, this Bible thing is brand new to you. You're just learning this stuff. And now you hear this pastor say, listen, you've got power to change. You've got power to not give in to sin. You've got power to have strongholds in your life broken. Maybe we just don't have that knowledge. So I want to take you through the Word of God, and I want to show you how powerful the Gospel and the Word of God and the Holy Spirit is for us. So let's flip in our Bibles. Turn to the left, if you're still in Ephesians, to Romans chapter 1. We read this passage last week. Romans chapter 1. Down to verse 16 and 17. Paul says this about the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Some of you may be new to church and maybe you hear this word gospel and you're not understanding what I'm talking about. Gospel is just a Greek word that means good news. It means good news. And here's the good news. It's good news about who Jesus is and about what Jesus has done. Why is that good news, Pastor Matt? Well, the good news is this, that God himself chose to reveal himself to us. That's really good news. Because in our brokenness and our sin, God was far away from us. We had no path towards God. We had no way of seeking him out. So God closed the distance. He took on human flesh, and he revealed himself to us. That's really good news. But not just that. It's also good news about what Jesus has done for you and I. He lived a life to demonstrate for us exactly what it looks like for us to live in a way that pleases the Lord. Not only that, at the end of that life, he died on the cross to shed his blood for your mistakes, your sins, everything that you did to dishonor God. He covered that by his blood on the cross, but he didn't just die. After three days, he was raised from the dead, which is proof that your sin is defeated and so is death. That everything Jesus promised for you is real and can be appropriated by you. That is good news. But not just that. 40 days later, after Jesus ascends into heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit, God himself, 
to indwell you and me. And now you and I can know God. We can live in God. We can have all the resources of God available to us. That is good news. That's good news. And that good news is power. Why is that power? Because it tells me I don't have to live in my sin anymore. It's not just that I can be forgiven. Listen to me. It's actually the power to stop sinning. Because God forgives our sins and draws us close to Him so that we can know Him and His will and His ways and His power. And I can actually have habits broken off of my life that I've dealt with for decades. I can be free. That is good news. That's what the gospel promises us. That's power. And not just that. Not only is the gospel powerful, so is the word of God. So is this book right here. So would you flip to the left in that book, to the book of Isaiah, down to chapter 55. If you've got a blue Bible, that's on page 1150. I'll save you a trip there. Isaiah 55. And in your bulletin, it says verses 10 and 11, but I want to I read verses 12 and 13 too. Isaiah is speaking to encourage God's people. And he starts talking about the word of God as it goes out, as God sends it into the world. Listen to what he says. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. This is a beautiful thing that God reveals to Isaiah. Every single time that God sends the word of God out into the world, it never comes back empty. It always accomplishes the exact purpose that God has for it. Why do I strive to center my sermons on the word of God? Because Scripture has never promised that the things that Matt Walton say will accomplish God's purposes. It's never promised that. But do you know what Scripture has always promised? That when the Word of God is preached and when the Word of God is spoken, it will always accomplish what God wants. I would rather just get in a pulpit and read the Bible for an hour than preach on and on without the Word. The Bible is powerful. I'm not powerful. The Bible's powerful. And I love this idea. Every single time you open the Word of God and you get in that quiet time, you get in that room, you crack the Scripture and you read it. I know sometimes you wake up and you say, man, I really just didn't get anything out of that. I'm telling you, the Word of God's still serving its purpose. I had a friend of mine in this room who texted me this week and last week. He was doing his Bible app. He has an app on his phone and it gives him a verse of the day. And two weeks in a row, the verse that this random algorithm... On his phone, the verse of the day picked was the exact word that God needed to give him that day to deal with one of the heaviest circumstances in his life. Two weeks in a row, two verses, laser focused on exactly what God wanted. How did that happen? Because when God wants to send his word out, it accomplishes what he wants. The word of God's powerful. We have to know the word. But not only that, 
the Holy Spirit of God in us is powerful. So flip to the right in your Bible, back towards the back, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. It's on page 1850. Flip back there. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Listen to what Paul reminds the young man he left to run the church at Ephesus, which, by the way, it seems like as you read this, uh, Timothy had a fear issue. He had an anxiety issue as he was dealing with the church at Ephesus that Paul had left him in charge of. And notice how Paul starts the letter. He says this, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid. Does not make us timid. But gives us power and love and self-discipline. The Spirit within us is God Himself. And when He came to live in you, He brought all the knowledge of God, all the resources of God, all the experience of God. We don't have access to all those things at all times. But the minute God's will dictates you need any of those things, his knowledge, his experience, his power, his resources, the minute he decides you need it to do his will, you will have access to it. That is power. You think you've got influential friends? You think you know people in high places? You think you know people with money? Your friends, their influence, their money, their power is nothing compared to the resources of the Holy Spirit in your life. And learning to tap into him by knowing God more deeply is how we find the power to thrive in life. Second thing is this. Why do we not thrive? Number two, we lack the knowledge of who God is and what he's done for us, and that is the source of all power. Do you remember how we started the year? We challenged ourselves to make God our source, to drill deep down into God to stop finding our money to be our source of, of comfort and pleasure and all those things, to stop finding it around our friends or the people we lean on or our experience or knowledge. We challenged ourselves to drill down into God as the source of life that we want to tap in for 2023. And I'm seeing you guys do that. I'm seeing you press into Him, and I'm seeing the Lord bring real change in your life. I'm so encouraged by what He's doing in your life. But we have to learn how to continue to press into that day in and day out because that knowledge of God is what gives us the power to thrive. I want you to look at Colossians. Flip to the left, just a couple pages. Page 1829 in the Blue Bible. Colossians chapter 1. I want to read you another prayer that Paul prays over the Colossian church. By the way, a church he had never been to. He had never met these people. But he writes this letter to encourage them. Look at what he prays over them. Down to verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you, and we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Why? So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might 
so that you may have great endurance and patience in giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of the light. That sounds like overcoming to me, right? Peace and joy and thanksgiving. That sounds like living a life that's overcoming even when our circumstances are terrible. That's what God calls us to. How can we do that? Because of verse 13 and 14. Listen to what Jesus has done for us. Listen to this. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So when Satan lies to you this week, and maybe he'll do it this afternoon, maybe he's done it this morning, when you fall to that sinful habit again, and he lies to you, and he says, you will never change, and you'll never be free, you need to pull out Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, and you need to say, I don't live in your kingdom anymore. I've been rescued from your kingdom. That jail cell has been busted open. Those chains are off of my hands. I don't live in bondage anymore. I live in freedom. That's what Jesus has done for me. And you don't live in freedom because you're awesome or you're self-controlled. You live in freedom because Jesus gave you freedom. He gave you freedom. But I'll tell you this. If we don't know that Jesus has given us freedom, what will we live in? We will live in bondage. We'll live in bondage. We don't just stop sinning and stay away from sin because it's a good idea. We were made for a brand new life other than that. We were made for holiness and purity and passion and joy and purpose. We were made for that. So we leave the past behind. We leave the past behind. And the third reason why we fail or while we don't thrive, we fail to pursue a depth of relationship with the Lord through the gospel, through the scriptures, and through the Holy Spirit. Uh, you need the gospel today. I know what you're thinking. Well, Pastor Matt, I, I became a believer about 30 years ago. I know you share the gospel every week, but about 30 years ago, I walked an aisle and I shook the preacher's hand, and, and I'm a believer. I, I've already accepted the gospel. no. You need the gospel today. The gospel is not just what happens when you enter into relationship with Jesus. The gospel is every day of your life. It is understanding that Jesus has set the example for us to follow. You need the gospel today. It's understanding his blood's been shed for you. So when you sin today, and you will sin today, I hate to tell you, when you sin today, that sin is covered in the blood of Jesus. You don't have to allow it to build into a habit or a stronghold. You can have freedom from that right in that moment. Not just that, you need the gospel to understand that you've been spiritually resurrected from the dead. Death doesn't have to hold you anymore. You're a new creation. And you need the gospel to understand the Holy Spirit has come to you, to live into you, and to guide you. You need the gospel today, not just when you enter into salvation. Now, if you've never entered salvation, you really need the gospel today. But you need it every day of your life. We have to tap in the gospel. We have to tap into the word of God. We have to go deeper in the word and let it hide in our heart. We have to tap in the Holy Spirit, give him freedom to move and direct us day in and day out. Can I give you a couple scriptures as we wrap up? 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 22 
flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I made a huge mistake when I was a youth minister. I made a huge mistake. I made a huge mistake when I was a young pastor. I would encourage our young people and I would encourage you to constantly be fleeing the things of the world. Man, you got to get away from the things of the world. You got to stop this habit. You got to stop looking at this. You got to stop hanging out with these people. You gotta, I, I would encourage just flee, just flee, just flee. And it would only last for a little while. And you know why? Because we only have so much self control. We only have so much self control. Paul told Timothy something different. He said this Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue. Pursue what? Righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with all those who call in the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. If you're seeking simply to get sin out of your life, something is going to fill that vacuum. And if we don't allow Jesus and the Word and the things of the Word and the people of God to fill that vacuum, another type of sin will fill that vacuum or that sin will come back in again. That's why we deal with the same sinful habit day in, day out, week in, week out, sometimes decades long. It's because we don't fill up that void with what God has for us in knowledge of Him, the Word of God, and the power of God. We have to flee, but we have to pursue the Lord. I'm watching the NCAA tournament right now. And you know my favorite teams in the NCAA tournament? Not the, not the ones, not the Tar Heels. That hurts, because we weren't in there this year. We, we didn't make the tournament. Moment of silence for the Tar Heels. Moment of silence for Duke, too, who lost last night. Praise the Lord. Moment of silence for Duke. Last night, praise the Lord. My favorite teams in the NCAA tournaments are the ones that are like 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, because they get in the tournament, and it's their Super Bowl. And they die for every ball. Their coach says, go after somebody, they go after somebody. They play defense, not the last five minutes of the game. They play defense the whole game. They play defense full court. They go down what you just got the ball inbound. They're on top of you. Four guys are on top of you, and you're tripping it up. There is all this passion, all this pursuit. Why? For them, this is the best moment of their life. This is the high point. And you know, every once in a while, like yesterday, a 16 knocks off a one. You know why? Because the ones are kind of used to winning, and it's just kind of a thing for them, and 16s aren't supposed to be there, and they're all this passion, this pursuit, and all these things. And you know what? They knock them off every once in a while. I love it. Those are my favorite games. We need the same kind of pursuit of Jesus. Some of us, we've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and we're just like number one seeds. Oh, well, we've been doing this. I mean, everything's okay. I'm a pretty holy person. I mean, I'm going to show up on Sunday morning. We need the passion and pursuit of men and women that I've met who have just come to Jesus, and they are so excited to have a life that is different and changed that they throw up in their word every morning. They get to church every chance they can come. They don't care if they've got a hat on their head or they dress right for you. They show up anyway. They are hungry. They're ready to learn and grow. God, give us our hunger back for him. We need to pursue Jesus. The world is pursuing us. I mean, the world's not resting. It's pursuing us. Let's go pursue Jesus. Let's pursue Jesus. One last verse. I know I covered a lot of ground. The word of God is so good. It's so much better. 
to bring Scripture to bear in these things. It's so much better. Jeremiah chapter 29, last couple verses. This is why we got to know God. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Their plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Their plans to give you a hope and a future. You know why God had to tell them there were plans to prosper you and not to harm you? You know why he had to tell them that? Because in the context, he's talking to his people whose nation has been destroyed and burned to the ground. They've been thrown out of their country and now they're in captivity to a foreign army. And they're not even sure that God loves them anymore or cares for them anymore. This is probably the worst circumstance they could have faced in their history as a nation and as a people. And the word of God comes to Jeremiah and speaks to them. And God says, I have a plan for you. It's a plan to prosper you and not to harm you. Don't you dare look at the circumstances of your life right now, good or bad, and try to judge your God's intention on the circumstances of your life. He has a plan that is there to prosper you. And you'll only know that plan not by focusing on the circumstances of your life, but by focusing on the God of your circumstances. Look at what he says. Then you will call on me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. God doesn't hide from us. He's waiting on us to seek him. But why doesn't he just rush into us? Well, he wants to know what is our heart and what is our passions. What's our heart and our passions? And seeking him shows him, Jesus, you're my heart and you're my passion. Some of you are dealing with the hardest circumstances of your entire life right now. You need the power of God to be brought to bear in those circumstances. So our praise team is going to come, and as they come, I want you to sit right where you are, if you're not, unless you're on the praise team. And I want to ask you to settle in. Why don't you just take and close your Bible? Half y'all close your Bible, and I make my last point anyway. I know you game. I hear you. I hear you. Just close your Bible, take your stuff, set it aside. I want us to sit right where we are, and I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. And whatever helps you tune into God, whether you're whatever thought process, whatever it is. I want you to think about the heaviest issue of your life right now. What is the area of your life that you most need the power of God to be brought to bear in your life? I want you to visualize that thing. Maybe it's the brokenness in your marriage. Maybe it's your relationship with your children. Maybe it's your physical body. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's the fact that you can't get a good night's sleep and you haven't had one as long as you can remember. Whatever that issue is, I want to ask you to give it to Jesus. And this is the way to do it. Just say, Lord Jesus. This is the heaviest thing I've ever faced. I clearly don't have the resources to accomplish whatever I'm facing. 
I need you to bring the power that Pastor Matt talked about this morning to bear on that problem. The power found in the gospel, the power found in the word of God, and the power found in the Holy Spirit of God. Would you come right now and bring that power to bear on that problem? And then as best you can, I just want you to visualize the Lord taking that out of your hand and just trusting that he is bringing that power to bear in ways you'll never understand until you walk with him and you see him honor that prayer this morning. And now I'm going to ask you to stand because what we're going to do is we are going to respond in worship. We're going to respond in gratitude and thanksgiving that God has brought his power to bear in our life and that we can trust him with this issue. So let's stand together and let's respond to the Lord in gratitude this morning. William, lead us.